Are we negotiating or not? Fine. If the chain is to unite with the Federation, you need to send the message that our culture is fundamentally valid and ethical. And how are we supposed to do that? By acknowledging that capitalism is already happening within the Federation. When was the last time anyone from around here visited Deep Space 253? A while. 87 years. Not by choice. It's way the hell out there. But DS-253 has been trading with an Emerald Chain mercantile for nearly a century. You need to sanction that trade. And you need to permit the chain to establish an embassy on the station. That will send a very powerful message. Your mercantile exchanges. They traffic in goods that are used for enslavement. Some still have open slave markets. And I have already submitted a charter amendment to our Congress outlawing slavery. And it has enough support to pass. What's this? This is an armistice with terms that your president can sign off on. The Emerald Chain will desist from any so-called prime directive violations moving forward. And I commit to a 15-year systematic walk back from Quajon and any other worlds like it. Anything less than you are buying chaos, and you know it. Welcome to the Mycological Network. Hello and welcome to the final episode of this uh, Star Trek Discovery Watch Along podcast. The Mycological Network, definitely didn't forget the name until I just said it. Um, <laughs> we are calling from the future and the future is tied up in a neat little bow, whether we like it or not. Um, I am Eleanor and I am joined by Tony and Ken. Hello. Say hi. <laughs> hi. hi. <laughs> it's been a while since we recorded, I forgot how to do this. Um, Tony's yeah. Osira. Oh yeah, that's uh, a sign rolls. Uh, yeah, okay. So thoughts, impressions, feelings about the finale in general. Let's let's jump in. There. Well, we're talking about three episodes yes. that were kind yeah. of rolled into one story arc. Yes. So first of all, impression is holy hell, that was a lot, mm-hmm. and there were a lot of things I liked. Um, I will point out. Captain Killy continues to have a great arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saru did some interesting things. Um, and we got to see, oh, what's his name from the first episode? The guy who wanted to be a lieutenant or be inducted into... Anyway, he came back and that was lovely. Um, oh, he was wait, a recurring character? I fully forgot he existed. Is this well, the... the guy who, in the first episode, he was the one who was, like, waking up and then, like, getting ready in case, you know, a... Uh, Federation ship came, and then he was, you know, oh, oh that guy, the yeah, 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 the one yes. who we were like, oh, they, the show cute. forgot about him, but they didn't forget about him. Yeah. I didn't forget cute. about him. <laughs> anyway, that was cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that was that a nice was little follow yeah. through. Um, well, let me let me let me just throw out the big question, which I think is the big question for this season mm. and for these three episodes. Were you happy with the learning the cause of the burn? No, I no. thought it was stupid. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, tell me more. <laughs> I think it's like honestly the stupidest thing that they could have done. Uh, I was really frustrated at the time when we got to the planet in like the first of these like this sort of three episode arc. I was like, okay, there's got to be more to it than this, right? There's got to be another twist because this is just out of nowhere and it makes no sense. Oh no, that's just. 
it mm-hmm. okay and i kind of processed that and like worked out exactly why it made me annoyed and it's it's annoying because like there was no lead in it's not threaded to anything of the main story it comes out of nowhere they are trying so hard to sell it emotionally but we just met this character we don't care they're like oh but he's the same braces Saru and it's like yeah that's not enough there's plenty of people that I'm the same like species as it <laughs> doesn't mean that I have some great connection to them so I was thinking a lot about how they could have threaded it in um, sorry and I, just I've honestly, I have now come up with um, a whole season's worth of missing episodes because that's what <laughs> this finale needed there were so many things that I was like none of this was built up None of this was let in or like you tried to frame it and then you tied it up in a bow. Mm. There's a huge jump. What that like that everything with the Federation? Like why wasn't the finale connected to the overarching story? Where was the overarching story of this season? They set up so many interesting potential plots. You had the Federation being fractured. You had this funky new future that we don't know much about. You had the mystery of the burn itself. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. none of those things they delivered on at all. And it's just really, I'm like, oh my, how does I, I just keep getting burned by Discovery? I mean, I can time. understand why they did it, though. They they decided to take it back more in an episodic direction. And by the end of this season, they've got it perfectly set up for an episodic series again, where, you know, they're going to a different planet every week, giving them dilithium and basically recreating the Federation or whatever. Yeah, but like, we don't need that. That's incredibly regressive. Like, as much as I like an episodic structure, I like one that's balanced with a strong overarching, um, well, plot arc, and that Mm -hmm. didn't have that. Mm -hmm. And they don't need, why would they need to, why would they want to reset to another, like, soft reboot in another new situation when they have just set up a really interesting situation that they could have explored for seasons to come? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure they they know how to sustain an arc for multiple seasons. I'm not sure they know how to write a damn television show. (laughs) (laughs) Like,. I mean, I love that. I love so much of it, though. I don't want to totally give that to you up on a platter. I think that (laughs) part of the issue here is something that I've heard from multiple other people, like people unconnected to this podcast, even, um, which is most people probably (laughs) in the universe. Probably. (laughs) I have heard from other friends that they're annoyed that Michael remains the heart of the show, that other characters aren't essentially getting to drive the story arc. And I think if you look Mm. at this as another Michael arc, where she's going from completely unable to command a Federation starship because she's all rogue and everything, Mm. to being accepted for her rogueness into Mm -hmm. the Federation's new ethic, which that came out of nowhere. But I mean, I'm not against it. I just think that they needed more time to develop that with Mm -hmm. the Admiral. Um, yes, but you know, like yeah. I think that again, it's her arc, and maybe because of COVID, maybe because of whatever the hell other problems they have underlying the show, uh, they just aren't quite able to connect all the dots in a way that's satisfactorily satisfactory, even if it was completely Michael driven. Um, but I mm-hmm. think if you're looking to outside sources for a plot arc for the season, you're forgetting that they always are coming back to Michael. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just, it's both their flaw and their strength in a way. I really liked that, actually. I really liked Michael's arc this season. Mm -hmm. Again, I feel like it could have had more time to breathe. I think that there are so many more ways they could have delved into it narratively and thematically in a way that would have made it more satisfying. I've talked about the second, like the missing episode, which would have been like the second episode of the season and anything that... Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah. And anything that really sort of capitalized and expanded on her sense of disconnection with the crew, uh, the fact that she now feels like she's torn, she's got an immense amount of trauma, she had to adjust to being in a new world and totally being her own person. And now she's trying to be a group, a team player again. These are all things that they would occasionally talk about, but they didn't show at all or develop at all. So like, 
that aside, I think that overall her arc this season has been, been pretty interesting. And what we've actually managed to see with especially the decision making moments and the moments where she's gone rogue and she's gone maverick, but it's been but she's proven again and again that she does care about the Federation. And every time she's gone rogue, mm-hmm. it's actually been with the Federation and the overarching sort of goals in mind. And it's been because she felt like the people who were making the decisions were disconnected from what needs to happen in the moment. That is fascinating. And they actually did touch on that in really interesting ways. And that's why her captaincy, I know I said at the beginning, I was like, I don't want her to be captain. I actually, I thought it was very earned mm-hmm. and I thought it was brilliant. I was, I was like, this feels like Kirk. This feels like ha- we're seeing how he became a captain mm-hmm. because he's yeah. the same. She's cut in the same, from the same cloth. Um, she's kind of both of them. They've, they've been, we've talked about that before where she has this kind of like the logical Vulcan side, but then this season yeah. is really capitalized she's on Kirk her rogue side. Yeah, she's both of them. Mm-hmm. And they they made that really nicely clear this season, I think, and uh, the ending and the way that he the way that he accepted her. Yes, it would have been better to see them butt heads a little bit more and build that up, but it was nice to see someone recognise for the for out of box thinking and for um, and her being, good intentions. Yeah, and for being the kind of person who will, in a situation, stand up and do what might be seen by authority as the wrong thing, but they know in their heart is the right thing because society and structures need those kind of people and if you cut them out you end up with a bunch of yes men and things collapse mm-hmm. and that's and again that plays into like the utopia of the federation and that's something that we love as well so it not only like justifies michael's story gives us this cool backstory this this earning her captaincy it also builds the federation in a nice little way i actually really loved that mm-hmm. i thought that was really nicely done and then ending it on the original series theme i had all the tears <laughs> that was for me a real strength of of the finale in the season in general, even though it was lacking in some respects. Right. The rest of it was... Plus, plus now we are where we always wanted to be, which is we have a uh, female captain, we have a female number one, mm-hmm. we have a female navigator, and we mm-hmm. have a female pilot. Like, yeah. yes! <laughs> Thank <cute>. you! Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and a man of colour as the um, ultimate authority, the admiral. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Plus the other two or the other three or four main characters I remember on the bridge, apart from Nielsen, they're all people of color. Mm -hmm. So that's really, really exciting. Like Star Trek has been trying to get somewhere more diverse for a while. It's been trying Mm -hmm. to get somewhere queerer for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, We've seen progress on the diversity front. What did you think about this season's progress on the queer front? Mm. What a good question. I was actually going to ask you two that question um, because I, I'm, I, I'm glad, first of all, that uh, they saw it through. And I thought that having um, more developments with Stamets, Colbert, Blue, no, sorry, Gray, and Adira. Yeah. <laughs> Um, blue. Yeah, blue. He has blue Del hair. Blue Del Mario, so who plays Adira Tall. Um, I, I'm so glad that we we saw that through. Um, however, I am a little I don't want to say disappointed. Maybe miffed is it's the right word. Because um, I'm like I'm not actually disappointed, but when when Stamets is talking to um, Osira's uh, scientist guy about their kids mm-hmm. and Stamets claims Adira was his name Amelia or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I, I honestly I forgot and I was calling him Armadillo. So 
I'm, I'm quite certain that's not it, but I I'm quite I, I forgot. Um, but I, I wasn't happy with that because, and again, this is like you know stuff that we totally generated through doing this recap series. But I find it so much more interesting if there's like you know a queer elder and a queer younger person relationship to them rather than just being like oh this is this is the child of Stamets and Colbert which I I also understand the utility in doing that like presenting the relationship in a way that's you know more understandable to the the audience but at the same time I'm like no like you can Star Trek is all about aliens and like exploring new cultures and understanding <laughs> cultural relativity. And if you like expect, if you expected us to go through, a, you know, the whole trill nonsense with Adira back in that episode, which was amazing. I don't mean to like actually call it nonsense, but like, are you saying that you don't think your audience will get that these two, two queer older characters can't have a different relationship with this queer younger character? Like that's so I'm, I'm, but we might, we might I, because now we might also get, you know, Grey yes. as an ongoing mm, recurring character, which mm-hmm. would be cool. And it'd be really awkward if they had parent-child relationship with both of the kids that are then bonking. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah, like, that would be interesting. Thing, the kid thing really... I didn't like I, it. I was kind of conflicted about it myself. I was like, on the one hand, it's cute. But on the other hand, it feels... I, I, I was just mostly thinking it feels unearned. One of the... Uh, I don't know if I've already said this on air but while we're recording but i've now come up with a bunch a whole episode plan of missing episodes um and one of them is just like we needed more of that relationship Mm -hmm. we needed a whole episode dedicated to that relationship call me old-fashioned but damn it that's how television's supposed to work Mm -hmm. it's not supposed to just be sprinkled through um here and there it's supposed to also have moments where it comes to the fore and it becomes narratively relevant to the plot in a way that pushes their relationship dynamic forward as much as it does the plot. Mm-hmm. And them going from being mentors to suddenly calling Adira their kid was like, what? Yeah. And again, again, it's not very queer. It's really heteronormative. It is. It's, yeah. it's like, and Adira's, Adira's what, a young adult? It, it would feel okay if Adira was like 10, but yeah. <laughs> they're okay, not. Okay. They're, they're like I... in their late <laughs> teens. Yeah. Oh. Yes, yes and no. See, I I totally agree. If you come from a place where hopefully more people are coming from now than there were um, when I was little, but like if you're coming from a place where you've had any familial support for your queer identity, like this is framed completely differently than if you haven't. Like if you were coming Mm -hmm. from the place where I am, where no one in your family has affirmed your queer identity, and where you haven't ever had like a healthy parent-child dynamic as a queer person, there is always that hunger, mm-hmm. that hunger for a queer parent who gets it. Mm-hmm. So I think I think I completely understand this dynamic and crave it deeply, even while I understand and recognize that what you're saying is true. And I hope what you're saying is true mm-hmm. for an increasing mm-hmm. percentage of queer kids today. But, like, even as a 32-year-old, I'm, like, somebody, like, tucking me in at my engineering <laughs> desk and, yeah. like, putting a jacket around my shoulders or, like, looking after me protectively mm-hmm. as a queer person. What? Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. But I'm getting emotional thinking about it right now. That is, is so not sweet. reality for a lot of people. 
But the thing is, yeah. it should be reality in the damn Federation. And this is where it gets regressive. And that's something where I was looking at GIFs of the uh, the pronoun scene. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I do not like the fact that Adira, when they're asserting themselves, is nervous. And the body language that they're communicating because... And, and the fact, I mean, we've talked about this before... That they have to assert themselves in terms of themselves in terms of in terms of pronouns. It's Federation but they destroying coming from the Federation. Like, they had they, just come from a regressive Earth, so I don't know. Well, again, this it's just lack of world building. Then, mm. like, why couldn't that have been the episode? Why couldn't it, we have had an episode where they go to Earth and they're like, "Oh my God, what happened?" Mm. And they're mm. looking at it and they actually am immersed in the society and they're like. All of these prejudices that we worked so hard to get beyond, yeah. they're back. How does this feel like more aggressive than a future we left, than the world we left a thousand, almost a thousand years ago? Now, that would have been a damn interesting story, mm-hmm. but we didn't yeah, get that. It's like it's all in the hinterland with Discovery, and it's mm-hmm. so frustrating. <laughs> yeah. like, why why, why do they hate telling stories so much? I don't understand. <laughs> they're right. But I love that you just used hinterland in an actual sentence I like i've never know. i've read it as like book titles tales from the hinterland is a book this year but i i do think that discovery is never more on brand than when they're teasing us with something that they never follow through on like i'm thinking again here of, a terrible of brand to have like that should well, not be thinking, their brand okay but our our delightful butch um butch femme um, pilot, like she was having that storyline <laughs> uh-huh. about PTSD, yeah. you know, for a, a small chunk of the season, and we were really worried that they were going to do it wrong. Well, they didn't do it wrong, but then they didn't do it. Period. Again, yep. for the rest of the season, yeah, they fi- they so fixed her with that stupid flight, things. and I was I that oh, that I forget I forget if I talked about it <laughs> with with you two or if this was something I talked about afterwards but it was like it was such a trite kind of finish that episode where they went to book's home world and they needed detmer to fly his ship and like that that was like it like she faced her fear and she was done with it and i was like that's not how this works that's not how any of this oh that episode was pure trope from start to finish i mean they even had like a latino machismo trope thing going on there so yeah yeah Discovery is is not beyond using tropes, and I would argue personally that Star Trek of all series has never been above or beyond any trope that it could possibly no. flail at. I'm just but genuinely confused think... with how it's structured. Sorry, go on. No, no, I was just gonna say, but this is one where we're like personally invested because we're talking about like our people, mm-hmm. you know, right, and our representation. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the stakes are pretty high for those of us who are queer, who are people of color, who are women and love Star Trek, like all of the people. I also but it should be high for everyone. That's what Star Trek's always been about. I know that I've been failing it. Hitting, I, I've been like mentioning this all season, but like that final episode i thought there was going to be something between detmer and owo like oh my that it was God. so obvious I thought. i'm actually angry yeah I, I, i'm oh, only I, okay so i'm only angry it depends what happens next season because yeah. like it yeah, has I mean, it really felt like we were being baited it did that, i was about to say because that because she was like i love you all yes and there were so many moments like that yes. I'm like okay this is weird yes and they'd already had such a vibe and we just kept waiting for it to happen and then so i was getting annoyed about it earlier and then i was like wait is this actually build up though yeah like it I'm could hoping. be that they're actually making it more oblique for an audience that isn't queer and hasn't been reading into it i mean i mean I'm, I'm i mean it, it so. would not be it would not be not clear if they were men and women like yeah the audience right. would have seen it anyone everyone would have seen it from the beginning totally. if they were male and female but you know straight people are have the straight goggles 
Um, right. So it makes, if, the if they're going to capitalize on it and develop it. had been into each other, like we would have already been memeing and giffing it like crazy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if next season I, they're going to develop it into a proper relationship, then great. Yeah. But if that doesn't happen, then it's queer baiting. And if it takes weird. them a whole season, then they are an entire season and a weekend behind me who definitely daydreamed about this the majority of yesterday <laughs> and figured out a way for it to work in my brain. But <laughs> just saying... I also, I was afraid that when Owo went to the nacelle that they were going to kill her off. And I was like, if you do this discovery, we if are you do done. you I will murder you. Um, but I liked that. Bit. that I that thought also, that was good. I thought. Um, robots. Little robots yeah. full uh, of sphere data. I was about to say, I was about to say a good thing. And now I'm going to have to say a criticism again. So I'm going to say my good thing. Okay. I think that the finale had okay so the very last episode yeah it was well paced it was exciting uh it mm-hmm. felt like there was a nice balance of characters i liked the fact that it became the bridge crew and tilly kind of like making their way through mm-hmm. i liked the fact that it was over to carry on the charge to the end it felt good mm-hmm. um i liked that um the sphere thing makes no fucking sense okay <laughs> this is something that i watched it with my housemate and he was we get cute robots. How is nobody landing on the side of this with me? Hey, it's like, I am not anti-cute robots. We can have it all, Ken. We can have a plot make sense and get cute robots. We don't have to sacrifice one for the other. <laughs> so, like, I was watching it with we my husband. He kept being like, it's wait discovery. a minute. We can't have sense and cute robots. It's just impossible. Know, you have to choose. Um, so I was watching it with my housemate and he was like, wait a minute, why did the Emerald chain, why was it supposed to, why, why could it take over the ship and the computer so easily when this is a sophisticated ancient organism that is now embedded within the Discovery computer? Also, where was this story the whole time? Mm-hmm. And why couldn't it have, ca- and I was like, oh my God, it would have been so much cooler in the finale if it had actually turned into like computers against each other. And if we had been sent into like some data core of the, of, of discovery we talked to the sphere properly and we would have understood how it became connected with the discovery computer because mm-hmm. also this was the whole point they came to the future in, in the beginning mm-hmm. to like prevent this data from falling into people's hands what if the emerald chain had cottoned onto that and not, now they're after discovery not just for the spore drive but also for the computer yeah. i really liked the fact that the finale was very rooted in discovery and we saw different parts of the ship that was awesome it would have felt so much better and had more depth if there were more things going on and the fact that they were like that the sphere data in the ship computer was so easily taken over and that then the sphere data was just externalized and reduced to cute robots where it's like, oh, yeah, this ancient consciousness, now it's just these three cute little bots that help the crew. Yeah. Did think no, about it. I I'm thought like, it was uh, a compl- mm. No, I, I didn't want to think, think about it. it. A reduction. This I thought of it as That's a clever move. Like, they didn't even get detected by the Emerald Chain because the sphere data was like, whoops, I'm going to do this. Um goodbye, chill out, I'm going to go help the insurrection with the crew. And I don't think necessarily that they're limiting it to three bots. I think that three bots is about as much CGI as you can fit on the screen um, in a television series run by Netflix. Would you say right then that they were running into maybe a three-botty problem? (laughs) See, this only makes sense if you've read Sushin Blue and have decided that you do not understand (laughs) the plot of the three-body problem, which is my problem. And it's my entire body problem. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Um, However, okay, so follow-up question. Um, Since we're now jumping to the Emerald Chain, I'm just going to be dropping questions on both of you the whole time because I've been thinking about this. Um, The Emerald Chain. So we get the Emerald Chain as big bad guys. We get Osira as big bad guy. We get the Emerald Chain also going to Federation HQ and being like, hey, let's make an alliance. I liked that move a lot. 
Mm, yeah, I that was interesting. I, please, please tell okay, me more. Okay, so first of all, let's think about this... the term emerald chain here for a second. What did you think that emerald chain meant? Uh, it's a chain of worlds with green because we often talk about planets out there in the black as being blue and emerald so the emerald chain is a chain of habitable worlds and if you start thinking about the Mm. emerald chain as something more than osira and a bunch of bad guys in capitalism which i know that capitalism is deeply rooted in um the emerald Mm -hmm. chain and we definitely need to talk about that some more but if you start thinking about the emerald chain as something that has developed over the last however many years since the burn so it's at least a hundred and some years old it's about the age of like india or the united states a century ago so it's figuring out what it is it's starting to develop into something more than just like a heady froth of nationalistic sentiment and white supremacy although that's still taking a while to work itself out just saying but anyway Mm -hmm. it's still like in the beginning (laughs) stages of figuring out how to be more than just like this this early um sort of amoebic mess of nonsense but it's mm. it has aspirations and i kind of like that like it has aspirations to what be more is it, than though? just capitalism that's such a cool idea i've just okay so you just said all of that and i was like that is such a cool idea wish it had actually been in the show yeah. and now i'm like what if it had been in the show what if i'm because i'm rewriting this all the time in my of head course, and editing yeah. it what if that had actually been like the driving force of this season mm-hmm actually to give up the federation to look at what is and to look at the emerald chain and think okay when start out by thinking it is this um you know criminal alliance that grew out of um the orion syndicate mm-hmm. and then to see it instead of the only way that these planets are connecting and forming a kind of union mm-hmm. and well why not try and reform it why not try and work together and, and instead of rebuilding something that was lost a long time ago you know why don't you frame the sort of the leftovers of the federation as being either aggressive or this kind of like uh peacekeeping well not peacekeeping but sort of um, it's like the u.s oh what's the it's right another word? member nation they're doing sort well, of. well i don't think i don't think you i think it, it could have been like a crisis response sure. thing the federation mm-hmm. could that's that's what they were sort of playing with so why not then think of okay well why don't we establish the chain as being this new thing why don't we actually say goodbye to the federation and say we're going to use, we're going to incorporate the Federation into the chain and just rename it the chain. And that's going to be the new union of planets. And we have to find our way all over again. And we have to build a utopia all over again. We have to find a way to overcome capitalism. We have to really, and if you're making it smaller, you can actually world build a lot better because you can say these are these worlds and these are these specific problems that they have. And it sort of, it's thematically mirrors the way that Earth would have you know, risen out of our own problems and ended up, you know, right. creating And then we get to steal the Admiral's planets. line like, for more significance than again. it even had in the show, even though I loved his line about you can't forget the past. The past is like, if if you forget the past, you're doomed to repeat it, kind of essentially is what he was getting exactly. at. Exactly, exactly. And that could have been the theme. And it could have, that would have made Discovery such an incredible part of the franchise because it would have been like, they're building a new federation, except it's called something different now, but it's the same thing. They are actually carrying forward these values that this franchise has already been, always been about, and they're recontextualizing them for a modern audience with modern sensibilities. That could have been really revolutionary, but they didn't think of that, so never mind. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so one of the critiques that's been leveled at Voyager... Um, is that it was too episodic. Like, the basic premise is Mm -hmm. that Voyager is out on its own. Like, it's, you know, 
almost 100 years away from the Federation. There's no backup. It's the only ship in space. And yet the crew is going to try and stick to its ideals. They have all of these restrictions. Um, you know, they start out in at the beginning of the first season with like a list of the technology they have. Like every torpedo is accounted for. Every crew member is accounted for. Those two things are not equivalent. I don't know why they're the first two things I thought of. Um, but at basically at the end of every episode, like you hit the reset button. Like, you know, there is no, there is no character development. There is no, there's no arc really, unless you're looking at it too hard. Like, how do we get resources? How do we get this? Have we actually run out of this and have to build new ones? They just don't bother. Right, and and I that about Voyager. why I'm why I'm bringing that up is that that's kind of what it feels like. Like it kind of felt like a foregone conclusion that the Federation mm-hmm. was going to rise again, and like having the stakes be like they like they felt towards the beginning of the season that like the Federation could end, the Federation could be subsumed by something else, or it could change so fundamentally that it was no longer the Federation. Um, was interesting and exciting. And I feel like that by the end of the season, like we're always going to hit the reset button. Like there, what it's sort of shown by the end of of this season is that the Federation will endure because we're being told that it's so important that it does. And which is unearned. Yes, exactly. Right. The characters are telling us (laughs) very often and very emotionally Mm -hmm. that the Federation is so goddamn important. And I like that for the most part. Like, I don't want to complain about it, about all of it. But, like, also, I don't... And, I mean, I I really kind of had this critique for for all of Star Trek, and it's not fair to to level it just at Discovery. Um, But I keep saying, what what is the Emerald Chain? Because, like, what the fuck is the Emerald Chain? Like, is it... capitalism. Is it a bunch of stores? Is it, like, a It's the exchanges, I think. I think they've talked enough about about the exchange yeah like we seriously don't know but we don't know they don't actually show yeah. us or tell us what it is you know one idea is as good as anything else at this point yeah right so and and i actually really loved my my favorite moment um no not even moment like my favorite full scene maybe of the entire season was osira and the admiral going back and forth it was yes. so well written it was so well acted um and if they had sort of like use that scene as a starting point and then like developed what the emerald chain is mm-hmm. and what the federation yes. is from there would have been amazing but i felt like and that was s- such a high point that was kind of like not surrounded by anything like it was so interesting I'm that we didn't get anything else <laughs> you're staring at the past i just drew you a real map to the future the past is the only light with which we can see the future it's just more abstractions the past cannot be undone but it can be made right we all had to make hard choices because of the burn spare me your judgment sarah i want peace i want the federation to join the chain and i want to learn from your great society the burn has left us with a legacy of of fear isolation, a scarcity that still clouds our moral clarity, a clarity that I fight for on a daily basis, and I ask my people to die for. Sarah, your people are good. I beg you to be as good as they are. I can promise you justice. Oh, I can promise you the same. And not st- like they. That's exactly what I was thinking when I watched that um, that scene in particular. The episode in general, I was like, okay, 
this is the starting point. Go back and write episodes about this. Yes. Go back and write episodes that lead into this. Like the capitalism line that she had, she was like, you need to deal with the fact that Deep Space 235 or whatever has been has been a capitalist station mm-hmm. for uh, almost 100 years and has been dealing with this. You need to, and has been dealing with us, the Immortal Chain. Mm-hmm. You need to deal with that. And I'm like, why wasn't that an episode? Yep. Why didn't we go there? Right. Why are you throwing this in now? Yes. Why should we care about this? Also, they have not been clear enough. At one point, they're like, oh, everyone thinks the Federation is gone and done for. And then by the end, it's like, oh, wait, no, there are all these space stations. And yep. There actually are disparate parts of the Federation coming together. I'm like, yeah. and then what the hell is it? Right. Why didn't they define any of this stuff? Right. And Asira as well, interesting character. I liked her psychological manipulation. I liked the fact that we were getting glimpses of how she is different things to different mm-hmm. people. And that's one of the reasons why there are people in the Emerald Chain who are actually good people because she's tricked them. And I'm like, again, show us this earlier. Show us Asira earlier. I was like, I was thinking about how they could have introduced her earlier, how mm-hmm. they could have had her and Giorgio swear off, but as like a red herring and bringing yeah. out her rivalry with Tilly a lot earlier because I really enjoyed that. Me and too. one of the strengths I think was like them sort of manip- like bringing down Tilly and dealing with her own, you know, targeting and preying on her own insecurities because I was like, it's really interesting we see male captains in situations that challenge them emotionally, but it's always to do with like very, very masculine patriarchal mm-hmm. um, insecurities about like power, legacy, fatherhood, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what is a really female insecurity? It's insecurities, it's imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. it's responsibility and whether you're whether you're good enough, whether you've prepared, you know, whether you can handle it. And they immediately zeroed in on that and started playing with it. And she was batting them away very well. And I was just like this is cool this Mm -hmm. actually feels resonant so it has moments where it really shines but why didn't they plan a whole season well it feels building towards this finale why did the thing with sokal come out of nowhere it feels like with this season particularly they took a bunch of different things that they knew they needed to get done before the end of the season and kind of shoved them all in a shadow box and shook them around a bit Mm -hmm. and then they were like okay now we have to make them fit somehow because like i have been arguing for a while although we haven't known osira very well for all that long but ever since osira first showed up i was like I think Osara is an interesting character, and you guys were like, mm-hmm. mm. and see, you did. Now you you it said makes that from sense. the very beginning. Yeah. And now it makes sense that Osira would be all things to all people until the edges start fraying, until the pressure is on too yeah. hard for her to do that. She has to pick and choose. She is a character who knows how to walk a balance, and as a female, specifically she is also subject to specifically female pressures which is figuring out how to be all people to all people like that is Mm -hmm. very specifically a female ceo thing and i really appreciated how they had her play out as both tough and yet sensitive enough to Mm -hmm. know um, deep insights into her underlings personalities and characters and how they worked i thought that her relationship with her scientists who i'm calling emilio but that might not be the right name i thought that was really interesting it also it, not it also would have been kind of cool to see. <laughs> it would have been kind of cool to see like Tilly learn from that as well, but turn it into a good right. thing. Yeah, you know, right. we they played with the idea and then didn't give it to us of Tilly having Giorgio as kind of a mentor. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen more of that, and I would have liked to have seen her like if we'd had episodes that had her and Asira before they came to like came together in the finale, where she saw she sussed out this element of Asira's personality 
and then realized how to do it in a good way because that also would have paralleled how Killy is in the mirror universe which as we've said was actually quite unexpectedly sort of coy and good at playing with people's emotions i i mean i have a list here i have a list sort of of things that they should have threaded in earlier which i'm calling the missing episodes yes so we've got basically everything about the future seeing more of that world building that up justifying what the emerald chain is yes. um the stamets and culver and adira federation building actually looking yes. into that specifically focusing on the trill and the var because like mm-hmm. they came together at the end and i'm like we should have had episodes with Trill. We should have had episodes looking into that society and um, thinking about how it works for Adira. Also more stuff about Adira. Why, how does being human affect their Trill physiology? Mm-hmm, and I will mm-hmm. get back. I have a real pet peeve with how they're dealing with Grey at the moment. Um, yeah, Michael and the Admiral building trust. That could have been an episode. There could have been a whole episode where they, um, which my housemate pointed out that there was a weird point where they weren't sure whether they were going to fit in the Federation, and then they suddenly did an episode that actually expands on the crew being divided. Meanwhile, the Discovery is having these like modern refits. Mm-hmm. It gets into a difficult situation, a new technology fusing with ancient technology, and only the crew can come together to fix it because they know the ship very well. But there are new characters introduced to the crew who know that modern tech, and that's how we get some new characters in, and we actually start to feel the modern federation as well and it's kind of like a nice harmony uh anything about the sphere data just more that expanded on that computer episodes about that and um, i decided to be oh, good books, and not empathy. Evil, like the computer in yep. the, at season two exactly also <laughs> yeah. having it clash with the emerald chain computer would have been really interesting because that would have then like reactivated the whole like control worry um more stuff building up book and michael's relationship mm-hmm. in general i really i was thinking it's really cool that he is the empathy and she is the logic let's have some episodes about that yes um the epi- the, the bit with michael and tilly where she was in the finale and she was giving her a code about tilly's birthday until he told that story show that in an episode had that in a previous yes. episode so that as soon as Absolutely. michael mentions it we're like oh my god it's a code yes. why can't we share this experience yes um uh distance and disconnection to have more of that um Oh, okay. Let's get to Sakaar, shall we? Let's talk about the friggin' um, elephant in the room. Yeah, Why did that come out of nowhere? Why didn't we have more about Kaminar? Why couldn't there have been a huge seasonal thread, like season arc, about Saru dealing with Kaminar? Mm-hmm. Why not have mm-hmm. ca- something happen to bad, bad happen to Kaminar in the space between that he's trying to work out what that theory? is meanwhile he's having my some theory. Kind of... <laughs> You're gonna hate this so much. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my theory is that... <laughs> He had an allergic reaction to his makeup, and that he just needed <laughs> uh, he just needed a couple episodes with having to wear all of the prosthetics. I I I really enjoyed that. I thought that was great. I I didn't mean that. I meant like narratively. Yeah. Why couldn't we have had more of like um why couldn't they have justified what Kaminar was and maybe Kaminar was lost and maybe this Sakal kid maybe he's a relative of Saru or maybe like. Saru leaving in some way actually like it's a consequence of their action mm-hmm. or maybe he's having dreams and uh, about the burn and he thinks that he caused it when he went through time but actually it turns out it's this kid there's there are mm-hmm. a bunch of ways where you actually could have tied it into his plot on an overarching thing and then and still made it about consequence mm-hmm. it, it was so random and disconnected from anything and it was just like why does this exist why do we care why couldn't there are so many more interesting things you could have done with the burn existing mm-hmm. Why this? I also yeah. would have been so, super yeah. interested to hear That's my rewrite. to hear from someone um, on the I guess storytelling cast crew um, 
about why they chose to depict Sokal the way they did. My main issue with Sokal is that they were riffing off of a lot of, um, I guess, disability tropes in, in their depiction yeah, of him, that and that's deeply problematic. Um, if there had been someone, yeah. you know, behind the scenes who was able to speak for this actually being done really sensitively, and here's why, I might have been more comfortable with that. But for me, the main issue there with Sokal and, and, and his depiction was actually how stereotypical it was, how easy it was to depict those elements of personality in shorthand mm -hmm. the way that all bad stereotypes are, you know, like the, stereotypes yeah. work because they're shorthand, bad stereotypes work because they're shorthand that we've all accepted and that's bad. <laughs> like, hmm. so yeah, like it felt offensive. It felt almost like a throwback to some kind of I don't know, Frankenstein movie from the 30s. Like, mm. what was that characterization? What the hell were they doing with it? Yeah, I found it, I found it hard, hard to, hard to accept anything to happening in the so-called storyline. Whereas if you take Emilio, who's in a wheelchair, like, that's maybe a better way to be that going about things. So why did they do okay on one thing when they did so badly on this other one? Anyway. He was mm. an interesting character as well. Why throw him in at the end? If I, yeah. I just think if, if they'd had more episodes expanding on the Emerald Chain earlier, he should have been there as a central character because mm -hmm. he's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, they had yeah, 13 absolutely. episodes. They always had 13 yeah. episodes, so we can't even blame COVID for shortening it like they did with his Dark Materials. No. But I think yeah. they should have chosen other things, to be honest. Like, I'm, I'm looking back at the episodes now and I'm like, there are weaknesses and you could have changed things around. I do think that they could have had more room to breathe, but I also think they could have elongated this. They should have had a two season arc if they were going to do it like this. They should have built in two, two satisfying arcs and an overarching arc, right? Mm -hmm. So that we spend a long time in this future and there is some kind of finale this season uh, and maybe... Maybe it's to do with the burn, but maybe it's to do with something else. You know, you can separate the burn from the whole Federation fracturing thing. Why not have the Federation fracturing being this and the Emerald Chain being this and the burn being, you know, the end of the next season? Well, and I thought, I thought it was you really don't have to rush through this. This was but they don't... about this basically biological accident that happened with Sokol able to interact with dilithium in a way that um, he wouldn't have otherwise if he'd been born in another nebula, for example. When we know mm -hmm. that Navarre, the people of Navarre, were tearing themselves up historically for a century and a bit over the burn, thinking mm -hmm. that they had caused it. And I'm very disappointed that their data didn't end up being more important functionally yeah. to the plot because i thought that mm -hmm. the the navarre stuff that was built up and that was like episode three or something it was really really interesting and had a lot of open ends but that's true of every episode like they've opened up all these great ideas and mm -hmm. then they haven't closed mm -hmm. any of the arcs and and that's why i'm upset about uh, kira like i think that she could have had a great ptsd storyline um emilio could have had a full you know like series length arc about grappling with having a leader that he admires and sees the good mm -hmm. in, but who is also fundamentally evil in some ways. Like, yeah. that could have been really And also slowly realizing yeah. that would have been cool as well to have. I, I really, really like that idea because then we as the audience are invested in him slowly realizing that she's, you know, not everything that he thinks she is. So that by the end, him being a turncoat is kind of foreshadowed and built in and we're rooting for him. We're like, come on, come on, come on. And then in a very narratively important moment is when he decides to, right. you know, join Discovery instead. Like, 
that's that's a great like point. the that scene with you know our lovely Stamets. It makes sense that they would have it be scientist to scientist, but Stamets' arguments were not really scientific ones. So no. I am I am curious Ooh, why they weird. made that decision, even though I understand why they made that decision. It and just, it felt and again it felt unearned. Like why not have them thrown together beforehand? Mm -hmm. You know why not have Stam them introduced in a different situation so that when the, when he is torturing him later then it becomes, oh god, they already know each other, so that Stamets actually does have some kind of, like, something to like claim. Uh, levy yeah. when he, they, yes, exactly, when they have a conversation. It's it's just, yeah. But, okay, now we've said a lot of negative things. I feel like this is how every one of and our And they're and I have goes. more points. <laughs> so, okay, <laughs> one I... more negative thing. One more, okay, Tony, yeah. I, I have one more negative thing oh, to shit. say. Okay. Um, and and, <laughs> and, and, and it's do. something that has actually been building the whole, the whole season, and I haven't talked about this yet, because I wanted to see how they handled it in the final episode. And this actually is something that I, I am mentioning in the context of Osira, because mm -hmm. um, the way that the show kind of deals with Osira is Michael pops back out of the wall and shoots her in the head, and she's yeah. dead. Yeah. And, like... One or of the things she? that, um, no, I think she's pretty dead. Um, oh. But w one of the things that has been my, one of my critiques about Discovery from the very beginning is that it is certainly dark and gritty. Mm. Um, it's it, it avoids a lot of the pitfalls of dark and gritty sequels and reboots and prequels, which is great. But... This season especially, and I don't know why I was so in tune with it this season. It might have had something to do with, you know, the last year and the wavelength I was on. But hmm. from the very first episode where Michael and Book are kind of running around the exchange, just like straight up vaporizing guys left and right, like Discovery has been very cavalier about death. So hmm. like from that opening moment to Michael spacing the woman who's who's following her and then shooting Osira in the head, like it was all very, I don't know, like, again, this is sort of like, you know, we're told constantly what the Federation is and why the ideals are so important. And I, I don't mean to exonerate any other Trek series, like certainly... Trek has dealt fast and loose with death and fighting and battles and yada, yada, yada. But it just, it struck me that Michael in particular, um, and I don't mean to put Michael's character on blast, but <laughs> Michael in particular just didn't really have any sort of reaction whatsoever to like racking up the kill count this, this season. And I, this is certainly part of like, larger problems that are going on but I just I never really became inured to it in a way that maybe the writer's room is I guess because mm -hmm. they were showing it so often but it just really bothered me well and I have a theory I, don't such a good point. I have a theory about this yes yes please Be yes. because like I do think that there was enough seated throughout the season to show that her cavalierness with death was one of many things that put her on the other side of a line from the admiral. I think that mm. that was yeah, one. Yeah, but it's not like sorry. It's not it's not storified. I was just mm -hmm. I kind of realized it's, the same thing. Yeah, no, it's not. Uh, storified, I think it would have been but interesting. But I think that there was enough seated there in conversation that this is something that at least some of the writers are aware of as like a thing that you need to grapple with in track. I think that... I'd be surprised because they're not grappling with yeah, it. Yeah, they're like, not grappling it, with it, though. Tony makes a very good point. You cannot 
cavalierly kill people in this franchise. They have phases to set to stun yeah. for a reason. And I was actually just thinking, what about the political ramifications of just outright killing Osira? Doesn't yeah. that undermine everything the Federation stands for? Doesn't that then radicalize them or train and potentially start a war with them? Yeah. Wouldn't it make more sense? Like, And also, it's more interesting to leave a character alive narratively. What if they left her alive and imprisoned her and then they have to deal with an interesting political situation? Yeah with the emerald chain yeah. like but it, it is a disservice to michael's character and the federation as a whole that she is allowed to just go around and kill people and see that as an ultimate solution yeah. and no one calls her out on it yeah. because it undermines what the federation is right damn it right so we, and they should they could have storified it it would have been interesting like you're saying kent it could have that could have been another thing where we're seeing the disconnect and we're yeah. seeing her being a well, maverick see, i was gonna say might have added a note of like discomfort to her being i was going to tie this back not to your missing episodes because i think that it was so clearly mm. something that was being set up that it just didn't get completed and that's so so typical discovery and i think it's maybe because they're working with 45 minutes per episode instead of an hour i think that this season could have been radically different if we'd had full hour episodes instead of the traditional broadcast television 45 minutes which makes zero sense because now we're in streaming service territory um i think that maybe you're talking about some um you know crew behind the scenes, the storytelling crew, who are used to designing these well-thought-out story arcs for hour-long episodes over the course of a, you know, 10 to 15 episode season, like most storytelling writers will be at this point because streaming is king. And now you have 45-minute episodes, so everything feels chopped back. Everything feels edited way back. And I wonder if I don't think so. I mean, that's a conversation. Did we have our episodes before? But that's a conversation that, like, legacy Trek people are going to require. But people who come in more recently, like me, are going to be like, yeah, well, sure, will they explain it with this or that? Or, like, maybe the situation just called for it. And because she was out in the universe alone for a year, you know, like, she's going to be a little bit more cavalier about having to shoot people. Or maybe that wasn't a phaser set to kill. Maybe it was a phaser set to stun. But then because they had to edit the scene or the, you know, the whole series down, we don't have a bunch I, of jail scenes. I, I see survived. what I see what you're saying, but you're giving you're giving you're letting them off the hook way too easily, I think. Because like you think back even to the original series, like Red Shirt is so iconic that it's become like a meme. Like it's something that like John Scalzi like could write an entire book about and you know what it's about immediately. Like, you know, and I, I say it's treated death has been, always been or has a history of being treated cavalierly by the Star Trek universe. But with the exception of the original series, like a lot of the time it's treated as something that is, you know, worthy of being sort of a big deal. Um, even if it's for a minor character, like we, the, the Star Trek episodes about death and where the death of a character um, occurs are like some of the best it ever does. And we don't ever get anything like that on discovery. And I'm worried that what you're saying is true. Um, that like viewers who are coming in and don't necessarily have the Star Trek background are kind of being exposed to this, like, wanton cruelty um, where characters are just kind of dispatched with being vaporized or being fed to a worm or being shot in the head or something. And like, that is just how Star Trek operates to them. And that is not mm -hmm. like, I would much rather have one less heartfelt speech about what the Federation is and one more scene where Michael basically has to deal with being a war criminal <laughs> because she's killed so many people <laughs> with the Emerald exactly. chain. And I just, I got the feeling I, I, 
I want to say that I 100% respect what you're saying, Kent, and I agree with it. But I I don't see anything that said that the writer's room agrees with it. That they were like, yes, no. we totally think that this was important and Michael needs to deal with these consequences. Like, I just don't think that was there. I think you're giving no. them way and more credit than they deserve. You see it in other television shows as well. And it's an American thing. And it's always really, really annoyed me uh, because there are so many American shows, especially action shows, that treat death as this incredibly cavalier thing. Mm-hmm. And it is, I believe, 100% part of the gun culture. Yeah. It is. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's how we see things. And that's how we see guns. And it's this solution. And it becomes like, depending on the show, military propaganda as well. Yes. And it's not okay. It's not okay. And they should be thinking more about it, especially nowadays. And especially if they're trying to build this sort of like utopia. And Mm -hmm. Star Trek has a nice history of having phases set to stun deliberately. I think that might be the first frigging franchise that coined that phrase. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason for that. It's because narratively it offers the writers an opportunity to use that solution of disabling someone very quickly but with the audience knowing that they have been incapacitated and not killed right and the discovery writers have walked that back completely for no good reason yep in the worst time that you could possibly do that yes so actually it is a moral issue yes yeah so so and this is you know i bring it up because it's something that bothered me through the season but i do think that it's more largely pointing to a lot of the things that are that I am troubled with from this season. I did like the season more than I than the first two seasons. I thought it was more cohesive. I thought the ideas were more interesting. I think Navarre might be my favorite episode of Discovery so far. Um, I think that some of the, you know, a lot of the scenes were really good. A lot of the acting was stellar. The two-parter where Michelle Michelle Yeoh went back to the Mirror Universe also might be some of my favorites. But, But I just am concerned about this disconnection between what the writers are preaching about what the Federation is and what Star Trek is, and this disconnect between that and the actual morality that we're being shown on screen. Mm-hmm. And I'm 100% sounding like a preacher right now about like, but morality from my pulpit. But like, really, Star Trek <laughs> is at its heart a very like, it takes a very principled moral stance. Like this is a utopia where there is not a lot of suffering, where, you know, there's no poverty, where everyone has a job and meaning and something to do with their life if they want it. And now Discovery is kind of going around and, and you know, shooting people in the head, um, you know, and I, I know I keep going back to that. And that really only happened with Osiris. But once is all it has to happen to say that, like, the solution that we're going to have here with this character who, uh, you know, did some pretty awful things herself, but like, the way that we're going to solve this is by offing her. And I just, from, you know, the, the, um, the footnote of all the bad guys being vaporized to the main baddie being shot in, you know, the the final episode of the season, it just does not sit super well with me. And I no. am troubled and- by where we where we've ended up. <laughs> and for her to then be offered the captaincy, that's really troubling as well off the back of that. Like plus the whole Stamets thing, but at least with Stamets we we can look at it, we can think, well, that's going to be dealt with. Yeah. Because he gave her that glance. Um, you know, there's two kind of uncomfortable glances from him towards her uh, in the final scenes mm-hmm. of the finale. And it's good. It means that we know that moving forward, she's going to have someone who is aware of how she goes too far. Um, yeah. 
and how she she's so sure that she's right and she compromises other people and um, mm-hmm. even if it's for the greater good that's actually not okay if they don't develop that next season then oh, that's just another ball that they've dropped in, yeah. in this floor full of we're basically in a ball pit at this point yeah but yeah. Um, <laughs> that's one thing but yeah the the gun thing really felt very very strange and a disservice yeah. to the entire franchise and it's 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 funny i quite like looking at these things and picking up um, something small that is actually indicative of like the problems as a whole. Mm-hmm. So like I taught I one of my pet peeves when I was younger was the Hitchhiker's Guide movie because I really love the books. And there's this um, there's this scene in the movie where Trillian's like, oh look, it's this cool knife. It toasts bread as you cut it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. Except in the Hitchhiker's Guide narrative universe, that uh, something so useful could literally never exist because the entire point is that everything. Every it's a running joke, but it's also a huge commentary that all of the technology has so many flaws in how it's designed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he was actually making a very, very smart comment as someone who'd worked in computer science um, in in somewhere I can't remember the details, but about how this stuff works in the real world. And it's also part of the humor of the thing. And I'm like, well, then it has failed entirely as an adaptation because they've missed the point. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what Michael shooting people does on on such a much bigger, horrible moral betrayal mm-hmm. level. My last pet peeve was actually um, the fact that Gray Discovery likes to bury and then unbury gays, apparently. And not sure how I feel about that, but my specific pet peeve... uh, Well, okay, so, like, Grey is supposed to be a past host. I love the Trill so much, and they're doing a huge disservice to the Trill as a whole with this new character. um, Because Grey... I'm sorry, Grey's dead. Yeah. Grey is now part of Adira. Grey is now part of the Dax symbiont and their journey mm-hmm. as a whole. Mm-hmm. Grey should not be trying to be resurrected. Um, why are they doing this? And I'm really hoping that that's, that's what they end up going towards. Yeah. But there's nothing narratively that's pointing towards that at some point. Everything the plot's been trying to do is justify him as a separate person, which is bizarre and weird, and I don't like it. But also, at one point in the finale, he walked away from Adira and into a different space. And I'm like, um, he lives in Adira's head. <laughs> Yeah. Adira's eyes are his eyes. What's going on? Mm-hmm. He's actually not a separate entity. This makes no sense. So that annoys me too. Yes. <laughs> yep. Well, I... <sighs> See, now I've kind of talked myself into disliking it. Um, but really, I mean, I think the the last episode, especially, um, That Hope Is You Part 2, it was good. It was like... they. It was... You know, those last three episodes, I think, were more full of plot holes than a a slice of Swiss plot cheese. But, um, (laughs) like, it was enjoyable. Like, I liked watching all of the episodes. And I thought that the final episode in particular was, like, good and fun and big. And, like, for for everything that they had given us this season, um, and especially in the microcosm of this last arc of three episodes... I was, uh, you know, I thought it did a good job of sort of like ending on a good dramatic note. Um, Am I happy with every piece of how we got there? Clearly not, because we just talked about it for an hour. Um, But I do think, you know, I don't want to lose sight of all of the things that Mm. this season did right. And I, I saw today... 
Um, you know, we're, we're recording this in early January, and I saw today that Charlie Jean Anders had put out uh, a newsletter about this season of Discovery finally getting to where she always wanted queer Star Trek to be. And I do agree with that entirely. We have, a, uh, you know, a, several queer characters now with lots of different relationships, lots of different ages, like lots of different representations of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and since we are a queer podcast, I feel like I would be remiss to say uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say that I really, really appreciate the massive steps forward that Discovery and the whole Star Trek franchise took um, with respect to queer representation this season. So major kudos for that. Um, and I, you know, I I enjoyed myself over these last three episodes. And that, you know, we can pl- we can pick all the holes we want in it. But like, if the show isn't enjoyable, then just no one's going to watch it. And I did enjoy it. So I this this I feels agree. very much like a backhanded compliment, and I don't mean it to be. But also, I kind of mean it to <laughs> be. So Yeah, no, I agree. And I think the point that Ken made earlier with the um, looking at the makeup of the team and thinking, oh, my goodness, most of these are women. Most of these are mm-hmm, people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that there is a cis straight man at all in the main cast, a uh, cis straight white man in the main cast at all, because... The closest you get is Saru, right. and he's covered in prosthetics. Mm-hmm. So that's that's huge. Mm-hmm. That is really huge, and I feel like that's a major strength. Um, I like. I really like that they double down on the ensemble. I think that the thing that I've really liked about this season most of all has been the fact that they've actually cared about the character dynamics, mm-hmm. and uh, they've they've given this really nice, nuanced view of the makeup of the team and how everyone works together. Culber was written really well mm-hmm. in this entire season, and I also like how he came through in the end. Yeah, and he had his moments of like being a little, being a caring. Um, therapist person was really nice um i do like the new setting and i think that it's a bold choice um Mm -hmm. as disappointed as i am with how they kind of like ended up executing it um yeah i like giorgio and i liked michael's journey Uh, i like book i think he's a great new character and i should see where he goes and yeah there's there's stuff to like i think that it's just one of their stronger seasons yes, to be honest yes but, and uh, i totally forgot now that you bring up book i think where we we ended up like the chemistry between the two characters between michael and book is really strong but the chemistry between sonequa martin green and david ajala is amazing like they work so well together and like major props to both actors but also to like getting me to a believable relationship like star trek traditionally has not really Mm -hmm. done well with showing romantic relationships and i feel like between stamets and colber and now michael and book like we have some believable long-term relationships with actual chemistry between the actors and i'm very impressed with that yeah, I like that very much. I think that's a strength as well. Um, weird space monsters, I quite like. I think Discovery's yes. got its own kind of vibe, and they, I like how they go into like the weird space monster thing quite a bit, uh, which is something they can do because of the CGI. Uh, I think it does have strengths. It's definitely not like it's not a wash of a show. It's not a no. bad show, but no. that honestly makes it more. I've always been more frustrated with shows that are almost great and then aren't. Yeah, and they set things up that interest me, and then. 
I feel like they don't deliver in a way that is the best way possible. Yeah. And the fact that this is like tied into a larger franchise that we all care very deeply about. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the one that turns me, the kind of situation that turns me into an angry ranting yes. guy, which unfortunately I have become in this last episode. Yeah, just I know. Recorded. I know. Um, <laughs> uh, and I wanted to believe so hard that it wouldn't get to this point. Yeah. You know, yeah. from the beginning, we were like, we really like this. Mm-hmm. Let's watch them screw it up. And that's exactly what happened. But yeah. who knows? Yeah. Maybe next season, I say for the third time. I know. I know. And I, I was thinking that too. But honestly, like, I remember feeling hopeful at the end of the second season like throwing discovery almost a thousand years into the future mm-hmm. is exact, exactly what we need to shake things up and we did shake things up and you know i i totally hear you on like it could have been great and that makes me angry that it wasn't but i also have not you know this could have easily been kind of like a nail in the coffin like oh well i tried it you know third time I'm an idiot or whatever the the saying is. I totally fucked that up. But like, you know, first time, whatever. I don't know. I'm not going to be able to think of it right now. But I don't feel like I was fooled this season. I feel like I'm going to keep watching. Like, I'm interested to see what's going to come in the fourth season and how we continue to develop it. And, you know, I could could be misplacing my trust. And that is okay, because I'm willing to go along and see what they have to offer. (laughs) Yeah. And when it does good things it does kind of pull at your heartstrings you know the ending made me think of the beginning in terms of how far michael has come uh and how alone she was at the beginning of this season but that's kind of i just feel like they they use that as a narrative shortcut way too many times where they're like you know let's pull at people's heartstrings instead of actually giving them Mm -hmm. you know it's just i don't know what's going on whenever i look into the writers of the show i find a lot of rookie writers and i'm like why why mm-hmm. why have you got a lot of, of rookies on this show mm-hmm. this is your flagship yeah um for your new streaming platform and for the for your legacy franchise what's going on here yeah um it's it's an interesting situation they also keep refreshing the writing team as well which mm-hmm. sometimes can be a strength and sometimes really isn't yeah and maybe it'll hit a sweet spot trek often takes a long time to get going but it does yeah i mean like this should be the point where it gets good and i feel like the finale kind of proved that a lot of the issues that they've suffered with from the beginning are actually not going away yeah yeah agreed and and again you know i know that we've said this a couple times over this this uh recap series but you know pretty much every star trek series has taken at least a couple of seasons to find its feet um lower decks was really an anomaly Mm. in that we all really liked Mm. the first season and it was a very successful first season but like there is no other star trek series that like did well in its first and i feel like discovery having well the original series maybe well yeah but i i honestly i was realizing this today i don't really know a lot about the original series i never really (laughs) watched it it's a throwback yeah um it's not it hasn't aged well i don't think i have two final thoughts one of the one of them is a final thought and one of them is a final question and that is that will that'll be i hated those uniforms that we ended on (laughs) they look uncomfortable have you liked any uniforms i'm sorry they all have design sense i i that's (laughs) true some of them are like iconically bad though like You've, I'm sorry, you, you how do you become my... iconically bad without going through mediocrity bad first? <laughs> well, I, you can't, I was you can't kind of a like, winner or a loser on every bat. I don't know. That's that true, but 
let's say yes. Do any of the snow sports? A, a, add, in, add in a hoop and a goal, perhaps. Okay. Yeah. Get the goal in the hoop. Um, but yeah, I hate those episodes. Uh, I hate those episodes. I hate those uniforms. Um, my second question is, so why is Doug Jones and Saru, why are they on a bus? Um, and by that, I mean, that's a trope like where... Where, where they're just kind of like, they, you know, they're not actually sent anywhere. Like, they're not killed off. They're not like, you know, well, what I this person is going to be like, around all anymore. All that you guys have been saying about cavalier deaths, what we need yeah, on no, Discovery no, no. right now is another death we definitely, not feel like a we definitely, emotional yeah. Um, But apparently, yeah. apparently, I looked this up and Doug Jones, you know, is still going to be around, just maybe not as often. And, and I'm curious, you know... First of all, if either of you have heard anything more about that, and second of all, like what you think of Les Saru going forward, because I like Saru a lot, and I don't want to see him gone. Hmm. I don't dislike Saru, but he's never been my favorite character. Hmm. I mean, he's most interesting to me when he is a well-fleshed-out foil to Michael, but Michael hasn't needed hmm. a foil from Saru in a long time, because... Season two, mm-hmm. she had several excellent foils, whether it was Spock or her own darn mother, or maybe it was <laughs> <laughs> Captain Killy, or maybe it was Giorgio. I mean, she's had so many capable foils since the first season that he has not performed the profound role that he served in that first season as her primary foil in a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. And they haven't successfully been able to establish him as his own character, I feel. I love Doug Jones, and mm-hmm. I love seeing him on screen. Um, and his Saru's story is sometimes interesting, but I, I think you're right, Kend. I think that he was introduced as a foil, and he, he, he stopped fulfilling that role and didn't really outgrow it to become something else. So it's disappointing, but it's kind of indicative of his character that he could be appear less in the show and the show wouldn't suffer i do i did enjoy seeing him deal with captain c this season i thought that was an interesting fact like facet of the season actually and i Mm -hmm. that's when i was like oh okay they're going somewhere with this character but then they didn't really take it much of anywhere and then the end Mm -hmm. was kind of yeah i know what you mean with him feeling like he's on a bus because like Mm -hmm. the end was so much of a love story to jug jones Mm -hmm. and allowing him out of the mask and seeing seems actually like letting us see him act Mm -hmm. was really cool and then for some reason it was all about his his character's heritage, um, it feels like they were writing him out and giving him a send-off. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, I'm not sure how to feel about it, yeah. but the fact that I don't, I'm not kind of ambivalent. But it's better to be that... ambivalent than to be like, hey, well, they didn't make this mean as much as I wanted it to mean. So at the same time, I'm kind of like, well, they're leaving the door open to a really, really undeserved emotional tearjerker moment in the future. So kudos to mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. if that if that's the tradition <laughs> of so discovery, which is unearned emotional tearjerker moments, then we have so much to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. sighs> yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I don't know why you guys are sad about this. This just seems like more material to me. I, I, yeah. I honestly, I think that for for the year of our Lord 2020 which extended into January. We're just keeping January with 2020. It's still part of the same year. Uh Um, I think that... December (laughs) 2. December 
part two. I mean, it's still been March ever since March. So I know. Yes, that's accurate. We basically have had a pretty phenomenal show for such a terribly, hellishly shitty year that went from bad mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. literal neo-Nazis storming the Capitol building. I mean, I do not understand <laughs> what could possibly be wrong about this show in contrast to the year that produced it. I mean, we did not deserve something this good, and that is my honest-to-God verdict for season three of Star Trek Discovery. We didn't get anything good, pretty much, out of any other television show that we love. We didn't get anything else good out of the cinema complex, because... It was gone and dead, and we didn't even get very much good coffee because this year fucking blows, and everything is shut down and everything is dying, but we still somehow got perhaps the best season yet out of Star Trek Discovery. I'm okay with that. Like, everything is going to be fucking imperfect um, coming out of the year 2020. But that show did pretty darn well for sustaining hope and not being as cavalier as all that about death. There were quite a few episodes that dealt in a very nuanced way with death. And it did fail on mm-hmm. a lot of fronts, but it didn't fail on every front. And for not just going full nuclear and being the latest, I don't know, like, um, uh, what are those movies where it's basically zombies in a basement and you're always fighting them with, um, uh, man, the gal from The Fifth Element. I don't even know what I'm talking about, but they're basically <laughs> zombie movies. Oh, uh, Resident yes, Evil. Yes, there you go, Resident the Resident Evil. Evil movies. Like, for not... For not going in that direction, I already am applauding Star Trek Discovery. So I will take yeah. my losses with a smile because we still got something pretty good. <laughs> and for the year that we had, yeah, it was I good. needed it. It was invented. I needed that. Yeah. Oh my god, I was actually thinking that. I was like, at the end when Michael got her seat in the captain's chair, I was like, I was just remembering how I was watching the first episode and I got really emotional because I had moved halfway across the world and when Michael had her breakdown and everything that she went through in that first episode like I'm gonna rewatch it again and I'm gonna feel things again yeah. because I was like this so chimes with with what I was personally going through and to then see her finally get her seat in the captain's chair and feel that it was earned and feel that the feel that they had told like a satisfying character story I was like oh well that's a good payoff yeah I think that it has it's been a it's been a decent season for sure and you know we can rant and rave as much as we like about like and nitpick it but it's not overall dreadful it's mm-hmm. definitely watchable and enjoyable in some ways mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways actually it's not even Tilly, enterprise. i think it's excellent this season for all the shit um, that we throw out everything like it's I know. I really enjoy how shit Enterprise is, though. That's <laughs> but you can only get there after about a decade of people being like, oh, Enterprise was such shit. You know, like, then after a decade yeah. of that, you can be like, oh, Enterprise was such shit. That's true. That is true. So, give so, it a I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it's a good, it's a mixed bag of a show. And overall, I don't think it's the worst Star Trek show. And I don't mm-hmm. think it's it's dealing with the legacy in interesting ways it, it, the problem is like the responsibility it's always had on its shoulders um it's it's so huge and it's so difficult to deal with and as much as i like talk about how i would write things differently on the show i don't know if i would envy the writers in that room and knowing what they have right. to deal with and i mean you'd be <laughs> up against every other writer and everything that they wanted to get done i mean i i just see any yeah. semi-decent science fiction show is going to be a compromise between like audience demands, like modern contemporary audience demands, not just like 
the lore fans from decades past, plus, you know, the competing interests of everyone in the writer's room, plus the competing interests and investments of everyone financially who has a backing in the show. Like, it's amazing that we get anything halfway decent at all, and we got something that was consistently decent. And yeah, it definitely mm -hmm. fumbled the ball on certain things, but I think I take such a rosy view and I am willing to turn a blind eye to certain <laughs> failures, although that really definitely um, reset my thoughts a bit on gun violence, so what you guys were talking about, but it, I, I'm willing to turn a blind eye because I know how much labor it took just to get one mm -hmm. good thing, much less all the good things that we got. Yeah. So... Yeah. And I really do think that that point that you made about diversity is possibly discovery saving, it's definitely its saving grace. And it is what it gives to the franchise is that ultimately this is a female, a story driven by a woman and a woman of colour specifically who has like three mothers. And I, I, every time they bring up one of her mothers, I'm like, I love how this show is about mother issues, yeah. mother daughter issues. We never get that. We never get that in sci fi in this way. And it's so great. And. And it can be so profitable. yeah, I think that that is that makes it worthwhile. Well, we need it. It makes it we not just worthwhile. It makes it like an addition to the franchise. It makes it. It does push it on in a it way. Does. It does achieve something that no other Star Trek show achieves. Yes, so, and yeah, fundamentally yeah. speaking, we needed a sci-fi show helmed by women of color um, to succeed mm -hmm. financially, so that other franchises will pick mm -hmm. this up and run with it. Because we know we've got the fifth yeah. season adaptations coming. We know that we've got a bunch of other diverse storytelling coming in the um, television direction, whether it's streaming or broadcast. I mean, we've got Shadow and Bone coming, and I think that's going to Netflix. And we've got a bunch of other things that are coming that require audiences to buy women of color as worth listening to. And it fucking sucks that we haven't gotten there before this, but Star Trek Discovery has gotten us there. And I think that's, it's not, it's not something to undervalue on any, on any level. <laughs> no, and to be honest, at the end of the day, the story stuff and the details, they don't matter because it only matters if you're actually watching the show and you're invested in the show and the franchise and you're a fan. What matters in the grand scheme of things, which is, you know, contributing to the history of television and to media in general, which is what Star Trek has always done. It's always been this seminal franchise that pushes us along, is the stuff that we've talked about. And if Discovery has already achieved that, then the rest is just kind of, the rest is detail and the rest is stuff for fans, not for television as a whole. So that is a hell of a saving grace. It is. And I think that, um, you know, it, it's, it's also worth saying that we only care enough to point out the plot holes because we care enough so to speak mm -hmm. you know that's circular thought if i ever invented one but there you go yeah if it was bad mm -hmm. then we would have just written the show off and we wouldn't even be doing this podcast mm -hmm. so it's also a mark that the show is worth caring about that we care about it yeah after mm -hmm. 13 episodes <laughs> and i do think if they'd had i think if they'd had 20 episodes the show the season would have been a lot stronger i think that they had enough like potential and capacity there to write a strong season out of this and I, I mean, I would never have tried to have crammed that much plot into 13 episodes because it's just so much and they had to. So, you know, what we got was what we got. Thank goodness they don't have me writing for it wasn't because bad. I probably would have been like, oh, that's shiny. We're going to spend six episodes looking at that weird archaic object over there in this one <laughs> quadrant of space hey, maybe that, that would have been good. zero applicability to anything else. 
I miss those kind of episodes though. That's some of the best like TNG episodes are the ones that aren't connected to anything. They're just interesting. I just think that I could definitely derail any kind of writer's room. <laughs> Tony went through Maybe, writing um, program with me. Well, he knows. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that <laughs> we have thoroughly talked about these last few episodes and this final season and i am currently falling asleep in athena we are ancient we're all like 30 plus um, so so hey i'm not yeah, okay. eleanor, is, eleanor is 30 minus 30 minus. <laughs> i'm 30 minus yeah one <laughs> almost there all right so i'm going to say yeah um, and y- y'all should feel uh you know very welcome to add on to this, but thank y'all to our listeners for coming along with us as we went through Star Trek Discovery this season, um, which we are happy about, warts and all. Um, and I think we're looking forward to episode episode season number four. Why not? <laughs> sure. Let's let's watch another season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch another season. I love watching Steve yeah. Martin Green. I think she's incredible. Well, thank you for joining us, uh, listeners, and we we will depart for the future and leave you in the the glorious ish present. <laughs> I'm sleepy. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> What's the latest? The mining vessel Coloma is waiting for us at the Dilithium planet. First deliveries are two Federation worlds, five non-Federation worlds, and one starbase that would like to thank us with their signature gelato. All right, then. Everybody ready? Yes, Yes, Captain. Let's fly.